Welcome to Flock Talk, a podcast of GCF North. Flock Talk exists to inform, encourage, and inspire. This is your host, Dave Farley, lead pastor of GCF North. This is season two, episode seven, and I'm joined today by Brian Dixon. Hello. And we are going to talk about uh, several of the questions that have come our way from the sermon series, Restoring Sexual Sanity. And today, Brian is going to ask me the questions. And um, if I'm stumped, I'm going to throw them right back in his face. <laughs> All right, so let's, right. Just dive let's just dive in. So just quick quick review. Um, this is a nine-part sermon series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've given the first eight sermons. I've got one more to go this Sunday. Uh, we've talked about marriage, masculinity, femininity, biblical sexuality, transgenderism, homosexuality, and this week is uh, sexual purity slash pornography. So, also singleness. Singleness, yeah. that's right. Yep. Singleness as well. Okay. All right, so what are the questions? Yeah, so we'll start here. So this question, what resources besides the church counseling team are available in Spokane to come alongside Christian parents who have kids claiming a trans identity or any LGBTQ plus identity for that matter? Mm. Yeah, great question. And I know there's parents at GCF uh, who this this is a real issue for them. They're they're really wrestling through how do I love and care for my child mm. who is same sex attracted or confused about their gender. Um, and more and more and more, I think we're going to know people who are in this boat. And uh, I, I would say two things. Um, number one, GCF North has a fantastic counseling team. Um, they're well trained and they love helping the people of GCF North. Um, Furthermore, there's a ministry that we support as a church called Path of Life Ministries Mm -hmm. that is a wonderful ministry specifically designed and equipped um, to help parents come alongside their kids that are struggling in these areas. And so they they have specific training for counselors uh, in the areas of gender dysphoria, um, same-sex attraction. And in fact, they're... I just saw recently in the last couple of days, uh, I think in our newsletter, there's there's a link to um, some training they're pr- providing right now, specifically for parents that have children that are struggling in these areas. So mm-hmm. it's a fantastic ministry that's, that's very gospel-centered, mm-hmm. uh, very clear on the issues, and um, specifically equipped and trained to help people, not just parents, but also if, if someone is just struggling, if, if a man or a woman married or single, is struggling with these particular issues of gender identity and sex, same-sex attraction, um, this ministry is a, is a fantastic resource for them as well. So to summarize, the GCF Counseling Team is a great resource, and then so is um, Path of Life Ministries. Anything you'd add to that? Um, well, I would ask this question. This is kind of what I was thinking. Um, what would you say to the parent that's struggling with, I don't know, I don't necessarily want to get counseling here Mm -hmm. because of the sensitive nature of this. And I don't want people knowing. Mm. And so is there, is there a resource outside of church or another church perhaps that has a good counseling resource that we would be able to point them to? Yeah. Because I've I've heard that every now and then someone just I don't know it's kind of I feel uncomfortable yeah having everyone know this or someone from church know this mm. how would you counsel that person yeah. what would you what would you say to them that's a great question because uh, part of me 
totally understands that reluctance. Um, at the same time, I would say that our our counseling team and our pastors are are very good about confidentiality. Yeah. Um, and and there there is nothing that can surprise our counseling team or the pastors. We've heard it all. I, I've been in ministry for twenty plus years. Um, someone can come into my office and say to me, "I identify as a turtle," and I would not be shocked or surprised, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't judge them. And so I I think. Uh, I, I hope that people would understand that the, the, the counseling team here, the pastors here, man, we, we are non-judgmental. We want to help people. We keep confidences. And I think ideally um, help should come from your local church because that's the way that God has ordained things yeah. is that um, Christians are supposed to get help from their elders in their local church because there's accountability, there's a relationship. At the same time... Um, I, I, I understand if someone would want to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And although I, I think it's ideal to go to your church first. Um, but if that's you, Path of Life would be a fantastic mm-hmm. resource. Also, I would say Faith Bible Church in Central Spokane. Yeah. They have a fantastic counseling ministry as well mm-hmm. uh, that's open to the public. Yeah. Uh, but for this particular issue, Path of Life is really well trained. Okay. Um, and we actually, we, we may even refer someone that comes to us to Path of Life. Yeah. So, so come, by coming to our counseling, GCF's counseling, yeah, we're, we're not going to hold you and say, well, we're going to be the one to fix you. We, ha- we have to... Correct. And I would say one of the things that's important to know about our counseling and the, and the people involved with that is the education they have and the training they have. This is not, you know, Joe picked up his Bible and decided to be a counselor. These <laughs> right. are people that have gone to school... Yeah. Although if it was Joe Sixpack, I'd be a little more confident. Yeah. But just Joe. But not just Joe. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's important to know too. I think sometimes, you know, hey, he's a really nice guy. He's really this. Well, he's actually also very educated because he's he's gone to school and gotten a degree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I would say that's a great point. I mean, Pastor John um, has his master's in counseling. He's very well educated. And uh, as you know, we, we we are trying to become, as a church, a counseling training center yeah. where our counseling team has to go through some pretty rigorous screening and training to, to counsel people. Yes. And I'm super excited about that moving forward. Although at the same time, there, there's, there's so much to nuance here because we live in a, in a, in a culture of professionalism mm-hmm. and some people will often think, well, if so-and-so is not a trained therapist, they can't help me. Yeah. And I would say, well, that's not true. If someone has the word of God, and and the issue is a is a spiritual biblical issue, yeah. Then the word of God is sufficient. Now, with that said, I think the point you're making is we want people as well trained as possible. Yeah, who are skilled with that. We want people yeah. that are skilled. Mm-hmm. And with this particular issue of same sex attraction, um, gender dysphoria, gender confusion. Um, you want someone who knows what he or she is talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it could be that our counseling team refers to Path of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, we have a very good counseling team and they keep things confidential. And I wouldn't want anyone to think, if I go to the counseling team for anything, everyone's going to know. Yeah, Because that would be a, a, a total violation of confidentiality, which mm-hmm. we take very seriously. Yeah. So hopefully that's... Helpful. Any follow-ups on that? That's a good. That's a great follow-up. No, question. I yeah. I just 
when I saw, you know, reading these questions and looking at that going, okay, so for the person that's a, a little more standoffish when it comes to, you know, their counseling at their church for yeah. those reasons. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was helpful. I, I would also say this to, to really encourage parents that have kids that may be confused. Um, the, the data strongly suggests, this is pretty amazing, that 85% of the kids that struggle with same-sex attraction or gender confusion in their junior high and teen years, by the time that they're in their early 20s, they revert back to their biological gender and their, and their, and their heterosexual attraction. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, man, for all of us, puberty, adolescence is a confusing time. Yes. And, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure from our culture mm-hmm. to pull you into this sinful lifestyle and to confuse people. So if your child is confused as an 8-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old, don't panic or freak out. That part of that is normal. Yeah. And I'd want to encourage parents that um, uh, there's real hope for help and for change mm-hmm. with kids. Amen. Yeah, here's the... Um Next question, uh, yeah, well, that was that was good. So next question, please discuss women who were married to abusive husbands and divorced them. Do they have to remain unmarried until the abuser does, or can they remarry? Uh, what does the Bible say about divorcing abusive spouses? Mm, great question. Um, and that, that brings up our, uh, position paper on divorce and remarriage as a, as a church, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And that paper was pretty dramatically revised. I wouldn't say dramatically. That's too strong of a word. It was revised probably three or four years ago. Um, after a lot of research and study. So at, at GCF, we, we would hold to the traditional, uh, Protestant perspective on divorce and remarriage. And that is that there are two grounds for divorce in the Bible, um, adultery and abandonment. So historically, nearly all Protestants have agreed that those are the two grounds for divorce. Again, adultery um, or abandonment. Um, And if you have grounds for divorce, then you have grounds for remarriage. Mm. So if, but where it gets tricky is, is if you are the spouse who committed adultery or abandoned your other spouse, you can't get remarried, biblically speaking. Okay. But uh, if, if your spouse um, abandoned you or committed adultery, and in that situation, you can get divorced and you can get remarried. Where it gets tricky is asking the question, what does abandonment mean? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> so uh, that's where uh, we believe, based on Old Testament case law, and I can't, qu- I can't quote the exact text, uh, but there seems to be indicators that the, th- there are several things that break the marriage covenant in the Old Testament. And so the issue is, the abandonment issue, actually both those issues, adultery and abandonment, the issue is, has the marriage covenant been violated? Mm-hmm. And obviously adultery does that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we now believe that abandonment is more than just physically leaving yeah. a spouse. Okay, so abandonment can also include abuse, mm-hmm. physical abuse. Uh, and this next one, I, I want to be so careful with, so careful, but emotional abuse. Now, uh, because there are real situations of really painful, awful, emotional, 
mm-hmm. manipulation yeah. and physical abuse. Yeah. Uh, and we think those are grounds for divorce. But here's the thing. The spouse doesn't determine that. Mm-hmm. The elders determine that. Mm-hmm. And that's after lots and lots of conversation and counseling with both, both husband and wife. Yeah. Um, but we do think there are situations where physical abuse, um, we, we would even say porn addiction, which would be under the adultery clause. Yeah. So there are things like, like porn addiction, physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, uh, emotional abuse that could include threats of violence. Um, so those, those things, we believe, violate the marriage covenant. And again, we would, we would labor really, 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 really hard to prove that, that there is emotional or, or, phys- or uh, uh, yeah, emotional abuse or physical abuse. Yeah. Um, and 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 we're we're going to initially encourage the spouses to get reconciled, get counseling, but if if the abuse continues, then we we do think that there are grounds for divorce. If there's grounds for divorce, there's grounds for remarriage. What's really tricky about this is, um, really, anyone who feels like it can say, "I'm being emotionally abused by my spouse right now," mm-hmm. and they can give all kinds of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, and that's a very slippery slope. Yeah. And so that's why we, we insist that it's, it's the elder board, it's the church who determines is that specific situation abuse. There's a book by a counselor named Darby Strickland, I think. I think it's called Is, Is It Abuse? Where she specifically lays out examples and situations of emotional abuse and physical abuse and verbal abuse that... that um, would definitely qualify as abuse and therefore abandonment. So uh, personally, I was pretty reluctant to adopt that position because I thought this is just going to open a Pandora's box for anyone who says I'm being, I'm being abused Mm -hmm. because my spouse was mean to me. Yeah. And again, that's where the massive caveat is. It's the elder board who determines that Mm -hmm. not the individual spouse. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, it's going to be very, very rare that we, that we think that emotional abuse qualifies for grounds. But there are situations where the husband can, or the spouse can be incredibly manipulative over years and years and years, yeah. threaten violence, do all kinds of things that are horrible, that have the other spouse just trembling in fear all the time. Mm-hmm. And that would be, we think, a violation of the marriage covenant. Yeah. So long answer to a short question, (laughs) but back to the question, if this, if someone is being physically abused uh, by a spouse or emotionally abused, and again, qualify that very, very carefully, define that very carefully, uh, they have grounds for divorce, but the elders would need to determine that, not them. If there's Mm -hmm. grounds for the divorce, then there are grounds for remarriage as well. Yeah. Any, any follow-ups or thoughts on that? Um, no, that was great. Number one. Um, and then, yeah, I think like the slippery slope aspect of um, the realities of being married and that in that close a context with someone else, you're going to have conflict. And I think a lot of times um, conflict comes because uh, expectations aren't clearly defined. And we can then take that as, man, this person doesn't care for me. They don't love for me. Mm-hmm. They're abusing me now, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been in uh, different scenarios with people where you just the realization of what hasn't been communicated um, has turned into this big 
um, ordeal right. that is not necessarily abuse, um, though it it may it feels that way, it seems that way, but being able to go to church and work through that in a community with a counseling team or even a, a community group leader for yeah. that, you know, just processing through those things, a lot of those times can be head on, hit at that level, um, realizing like, okay, this isn't abuse in the sense that what we're talking about in the context of this question, right? which like you're saying, I think sometimes people can run to the elders going, I'm being abused when the reality is, okay, there's a conflict which is going to happen in marriage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, how are you guys working that out? And I think a lot of times you can work that out right. and it isn't necessarily abuse. Right. Um, but that being said, like you said, being very um, wise and discerning and is there manipulation happening here? Like what's going on to try right. and get to the right. kind of the root of it? And I would encourage whoever has questions about this to, to read our excellent position paper on this where we spell out all these details with proof texts. Um, and again, our, our elder board uh, adopted this, this position a couple of years ago and modified our statement. And uh, it, it, I'm sure it raises some questions, but um, what, what's interesting, uh, I'll just say one more thing about this, is that the, the evangelical landscape, um, kind of the scholarly world, uh, there have been several scholars uh, in the last couple of years that have, have argued the same thing mm. that um, abandonment that can be opened up to include other things. Mm -hmm. So Wayne Grudem takes this position. Um, Andy Nasali, uh, there's several other scholars. So we're not, we're not, we're not on our own. Yeah. <laughs> we're not becoming liberal. Like there's, mm -hmm. there, there are really good evangelicals who would agree with, with this this position so anyways and if i'd, I'd just last thing i would tag to this yeah if you are being abused please let us know reach out <laughs> yes. get a hold of the elders yes. you know make sure that you you get the help that you need yeah you know um because far you know a lot of times the abuse goes way too long way too long yes. you know even one episode is too long but a lot of times that the abuser and the abused um, live in that lifestyle for way too long before they reach out. So I just want to encourage anyone who's in that. Yes, and, and what's what's hard about that is is the person being abused is afraid. Yes, yeah. That if they reach out to the elders, they're going to get more abuse. And mm -hmm. oh yeah, let me let me just plead with you. If that's you, you've got you've got to let us know so we can help. Mm -hmm. Amen. So we'll move to the next question, uh, which is. How should Christians react when someone asks to be referred to using pronouns different than their gender? Does it matter if they're a close friend or an acquaintance or a Christian or non-Christian? Mm, the pronoun question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the next question is very similar, isn't it? Just read both those questions. All right, yeah. As a teacher, I have students that say they, have, they are transgender or non-binary. It's awful. I simply just tried to call them by their name and not slip up on pronouns for fear of student parent school backlash. Uh, I won't affirm their preferred pronouns, but will call them their name. My question is, am I sinning? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's just bizarre that we even have to have this conversation, mm -hmm. but these are great questions. 
Um, and and I, I, I will say that I, I have an opinion on this. Um, is my opinion the last word? No, it's not the last word. There's probably Christians that would disagree with me on this particular issue. Um, and that's okay. Um, but I, I, I just, I just uh, read Rosario Butterfield's book, Five Lives of Our Secular Age, which I've mentioned many times from the pulpit recently. And she, she makes the case that we should never, ever, ever, ever refer to someone by their non-biological pronoun. And the reason why is because she says it's, it's, a, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. We're, we're lying to them. And the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Mm-hmm. And if someone is, if their gender at birth is male, XY chromosome, then we should refer to them as male. Mm-hmm. He, him. Yeah. Um, and referring to that particular person as a, as a she or a they is a lie. Um, and that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Um, and so I, 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 I'm still thinking through this. That's, that's probably the position that I would take on this. Although with that said, I think, I think a way to avoid getting in trouble legally is just by always c- calling someone by their name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and avoid pronouns altogether, mm-hmm. if possible. Yeah, <laughs> which is which you can do if you're really careful. Yeah. Um. So so even even if someone is a is a dude biologically and they go by Sarah, the reality is is that in different cultures names mean different things. Yeah. And maybe Sarah is a male name in some culture somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> or in some language somewhere. Yeah. So I I would have no problem calling someone by their preferred name, whether it was Rose or Sarah or Steve or Jack. Um, but I I would really really struggle calling someone a a, a he or a him or a they when it's really a she. Yeah. Because it's it's a lie and it's really it's really um defaming God's image in them um, and, and ignoring what God has done in creating them. Yeah. So, but I get it. There's different opinions on this. Yeah. Um, and more and more people are facing it in scenarios that are um, overwhelming, like the school scenario, yeah. if you're a teacher and having to, you know, what do you do? You know, and that that's, I mean, thankful that this question's coming in because that is tough. I mean... Yeah, because someone could get fired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in fact, um, I quoted this in my sermon a few weeks ago. I think it's in New York. There's some some law in New, the city of New York, New York now, where if you use the wrong pronoun with someone, you get a massive fine. Yeah. So there's fines. There's getting fired. Mm-hmm. So I take this question seriously, and um, you know, I'm not in the situation of of the teacher in the public school or someone else in a fortune 500 company where, you know, their, their boss is a, they, them, um, that would be really challenging. But I, 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 it, more and more and more as Christians, we have to really live by conviction no matter what it costs us. Um, maybe someone can make a case that we should call someone by their preferred pronoun. I, I don't see it biblically. Uh, I think Rosaria Butterfield's case is pretty strong biblically that, uh, if someone is a biological male, that's the way God made them. And to say otherwise is lying to everyone in that person. And, and, and she says it's not loving to them because we're reaffirming their confusion and their sin against God. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. All right, with that said, let's, let's wrap this session up. Thanks for listening to Flock Talk. 
a ministry of GCF North. GCF North exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, discipleship, and evangelism. To learn more, go to our website, gcfnorthspokane.org. Thank you.